one of the things that I've been trying to do is to give you insights into what heaven is like. And when we study what heaven is like, we, we take it from scripture. Uh, and you see, God gives us hints. He doesn't spell it out specifically, but he gives us a hint here and a hint there. And then he expects us to use our, the Holy Spirit and our intellect to put the pieces together. Uh, and so we're trying to do that. And so one of the verses I'm going to focus on today is in Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9, and I'll set this up. This is a, a series of verses that relates to the martyrs in heaven being unto the altar of God uh, and now crying out to God. So this is Revelation chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Uh, amazing uh, set of verses here. Uh, and one of the first things that, that you recognize is, is how God's sovereign will works. Uh, and you, you see here that God is saying to these mar martyrs, there are, there are others that are yet to be martyred. There are others yet who will be killed for the testimony of the gospel. Uh, and so uh, God in his perfect will sees all and knows all. And so those lives will be sacrificed for the testimony of God. Why? We don't know, but it bows to the sovereignty of God. And so we recognize this. But there are a number of observations that we can make from this uh, that relate to what will be like in heaven. Uh, first of all, there's a a continuous identity from earth to heaven. These are martyrs that remember that they were martyred in heaven, in earth. They remember that, and that memory still sticks with them. That's their personal history, and that personal history seems to attach to those people. Um, and, and they remember their lives on earth. Uh, and so they, were, they knew that they were known and identified for the work of God and that they had been murdered for the work of God. And so they're asking God that he effectively bring justice to the world. He, they're not asking that he avenge their deaths. It's a bad translation that says that. But rather, they're asking him to set justice right in the world. Stop the evil in the world. How much longer will evil take control of the world? Uh, and that's what, the, what they're asking for. So what else can we tell? Well, we can tell, first of all, that they have audible voices, that they speak, meaning they have vocal cords. So they have some type of physical body, a body that can speak. They are emotional and rational. They remember what happened, and they're rational in their thought process. They're speaking to God, and they have questions. They, they, are, they are asking God, uh, how much longer will things be before you return justice to the world? That means that in heaven, you will be able to speak to God and ask God questions. All right? You'll be able to do that, meaning you'll have, some, you'll have rational thought. Now, I said this at the early class, and I want to give it to you again. I want to give you a word of warning here. 
Uh, I remember once I met a guy who said to me, boy, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions for Jesus. So here's the tip. When you get to heaven, the first thing you should not do is walk up to Jesus and say, you know, I've got a lot of questions for you. That's a bad thing to do, because if you do that, there might be a trap door that opens under your feet. And I don't want to give you that advice. Don't ask. Be very careful when you start asking questions. Instead, put your face in the dust that God through his mercy and grace has saved you and that you're there in heaven with your family and your friends and Jesus and God himself uh, because of the grace of, of our Lord and Savior. Uh, and so you see this, that there they are in some physical form, being able to speak, being able to think, uh, remembering their life on earth. Uh, and it also we see that, that they speak apparently uh, as they gather together, there's a unity of their voice. There's like a one voice. So there is a unity in heaven for the kingdom of God. Uh, and it's being articulated by them. Now, also, apparently, from what we see here, they have some type of physical body, a body that speaks, but a body also that is given a robe. Now, you know that if you were a nebulous uh, a spirit, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't need a, a robe but if you're a, a physical body, you would need a, a robe. So in some sense, in heaven, you will have some type of glorified body. Also, what you see here in heaven is that there's a, a desire for understanding, a desire for understanding and, and, and pursuing it. Uh, and so even as they have questions about what happened to them on earth, uh, they, they have a desire that it be corrected and they speak to God uh, and ask God to, to judge it. Uh, and so also what I see here is that they are distinct individuals, all right? Because each of them has a individual memory about what happened to them. So each of them individually is given a white robe. Uh, and so uh, it, it suggests again, some type of physical presence. Uh, and so it also demonstrates that when we get to heaven, we won't know everything at that point in time. We'll still have questions, but God will answer those questions uh, within his perfect time and within his perfect will. And you see here God saying that even when we have questions and we want justice, and yet God will say you have to wait a little longer. There still has to be a sense of patience as the sovereign will of God comes together. Um, and... Waiting here connotes some passage of time. And so in that sense, then, there is some passage of time in heaven. Otherwise, why would God said you have to wait a little longer? The, the, the phraseology waiting a little longer means that there is a passage of time. So all these thoughts that, that we've been told in the past that there is no time, that you don't necessarily have a physical body, that you won't know what, what took place on earth, I believe that all of that is, is not true. I think God is giving you snippets about that. Uh, somebody said to me in the earlier class, but if I know what happened in earth, won't I be sorrowful? Won't I be sorrowful? And, and the question really becomes, I think what happens as I study this, I think that when you get to heaven, you have an understanding of the mind of God. And when you have an understanding of the mind and the heart of God, it's no longer your micro kind of economy where you're just worried about your issue, but instead you begin to see God as he thinks globally and used your life 
globally and as the word of God is spread globally. And so coming to understand God's global sovereign purpose gives us comfort, gives us comfort. And so we, so we, we understand that. Um, and so uh, these are all important verses. I want, I want you also to turn to Revelation chapter 18. Uh, and beginning in verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven. <clears throat> rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder, the, sarge, the size of a large millstone, and threw it into the sea. And so what you see here is that there's rejoicing in heaven based on the things when God renders justice in this world. That there's people in heaven, uh, angels and saints in heaven, rejoicing over that. Look also at Revelation 19, uh, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So here's a, a John seeing this vision, and he is seeing that the entire kingdom of heaven is together uniformly praising a God. Why? For the true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute, that is Satan, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried again, Amen. Hallelujah. So you understand there is an understanding of what's going on in earth, that as they see what's going on on earth and God uh, ultimately rends uh, his justice on this earth as, as Satan is brought to justice, all of the inhabitants of heaven, including, by the way, you'll notice the, the term, the four creatures. They are not humans. They are not angels. They are creatures. They are effectively animals of some sort. I'll speak about that. But uh, that presages the way for me to begin to talk to you about the fact that I believe it's pretty clear that there are animals in heaven. Uh, and God has given us a pretty good indication of this uh, in a number of, of uh, passages. Um, and so even the... Uh, when Jesus appeared on the Mount Transfiguration uh, and he appeared with Moses and Elijah, do you remember that when they appeared together, they said to Jesus, they were fully aware of what was taking place uh, and what was going to uh, take place with Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Two men, this is verse 30, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They talked, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So what does that mean? It means here they are, Moses and Elijah, saints in heaven, knowing that Jesus was about to depart from this world. This is before the, the uh, crucifixion, before the resurrection. What does it mean? It means that there is knowledge in heaven uh, of what is taking place in this world. Uh, and so that's important to do. Now, I also want you to understand that besides uh, human beings in heaven, angels are in heaven, uh, and angels surround us. They are in the air around us. And not only are angels around us, but 
demons are around us. And the reason I say that is because you know that when Satan was uh, thrown out of heaven in that angelic revolt, one third of the angels were thrown out of heaven with Satan. They were thrown to this world. And so these are the demons that we, are, we contest with every day. They surround us in the world. They surround us in the air. Uh, and so I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 so you understand what God is doing with this. God is putting us on display. He's putting us on display to show not just the angels, but even the demons uh, what he can do with his people. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So what does that mean? It means that in the air, the very air around us, the angels are watching. And the demons are watching. The principalities are there, all looking to see what you're doing. And God is putting you on display. And you are running the race for God. And you are advancing the kingdom of God. And all of this is within the will of God as you are on display to these principalities, to, these, to this spirit world. Um, and God is demonstrating what he can do with his created beings. He is using you as an example to show the angels what, what great work he can do. And they're in awe when they see a, a human being created in the image of God, knowing that the human being has free will and when that human being fully submits themselves to God. They're in awe. God is teaching them. He's showing them. And so there's, there's lessons being uh, taking place even that we don't even understand, that we don't see it. Look also to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory, was seen by angels. And so the Lord, even in his walk here in this world, was watched, was watched by the angels who looked at that, just as you are. Uh, effectively running the race for God. Uh, and so it becomes clear that this is what God wants us to be aware of. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. Put us on display. He's absolutely right. He is putting us on display. That's the nature of our walk with Christ. All right? That's, that's what we talk about when we talk about being in day two of our lives, taking up the cross, walking in submission, walking in sanctification. You are on display. God is using you to teach the universe about what it means to be fully submitted. So this presages my uh, discussion about pets in heaven. Let me start by saying a couple of, of uh, comments that summarize this. And that is this. Never lose sight of the love of God. Our sovereign God loves you and us so much that he bankrupted heaven. 
He took Christ himself, God himself, his son himself, and sent him to this world to die on a cross so that you could be saved. He had his name, he had your name written on the palm of his hand at the moment that he was put on that cross and died for you. Now, if God loved you so much that he would do that for you, does it make sense that God would give you a pet that would love you unconditionally, that would give his life and, and be with you to love you every single day in a way that you would never get love probably from any other creature or individual, maybe even more so than your wife. You know what I mean? <laughs> they love you unconditionally. You know, even if you yell at your dog, one minute later, they're there licking your hands and they love you. If you do that to your wife, you could be out, out in the guest house for a while, all right? So it's an understanding of what God has done in giving you this blessing. It is a blessing from God. The unconditional love that God conveys to you through, through a pet. Now, God has demonstrated throughout the Bible that he is concerned about animals. And it begins, if you would look, right in Genesis chapter 6. Let's turn there. Genesis 6, verse 19, and this is now God is telling Noah, I'm going to clean out the earth. I'm going to wipe it away. I'm going to take evil, and I'm going to remove it, and I'm going to start all over again. And look, look at verse 19. We'll start with 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away way as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So there is your God so concerned with the fact that he's about to obliterate this world that he's demonstrating that that love that he has extends to the animal kingdom, that he wants the animals to be preserved, to be protected. And so he tells Noah to do this, to reach out and, and to bring them uh, to protection. Uh, and so you see this right from the beginning of Scripture, God speaking out about his mind as it relates uh, to animals. Um, and and it, to me, it touches, it touches me greatly as I see this. Uh, turn also uh, to Genesis chapter 9. Oh, we did that, Genesis 9. Okay. Um, and, and so it's important to see this. And so God's plan for a renewed earth after the flood involved animals. And I'm going to tell you something. God's plan for the new Jerusalem when he returns heaven to this world also involves animals because God has promised us that I will create all things new. Now, when he said, I will create all things new, what does he mean by all things? He means not just not just the humans, not just the humans, not just the weather, not just the mountains and the rivers and the ground 
and the landscape. He, he means also the creatures, the living creatures. All of them will be made new. And so you see the mind of God as he's promising us what will take place in this new creation, in this new heaven. God has used animals. He has used animals for his purpose. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. It's hard for me to go through the Bible with just one hand. Verse 4. And this is, a, this is where Elijah now is going to be fed by the birds, by the, by the ravens. Um, and so uh, in, in verse 4 there, it's talking about uh, Elijah. It says as follows. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. I've ordered the ravens to feed you there, meaning that there is a communication between God and these animals. Then in verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. How about that? That God is, is, is uh, communicating with the birds, instructing them to serve in the kingdom of God, and they are obeying him and doing that. Now, God even made a provision for the animals in the Ten Commandments. Uh, and this isn't often taught, taught, but I want to teach it to you so that you have it. And the point of this, again, is this. I'm putting all of these various things together so that at the end you come away with the overwhelming conclusion, yes, I can see that God has a plan, that, th that our pets will be there waiting for us. And, and, and I want to assure you that I believe very definitely that that's the case. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. And this is now God speaking about the Ten Commandments. And look at verse 8. Now we're talking about the Sabbath. And look what God says about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant or um, manservant, nor your animals. Underline it. Nor your Animals, meaning you cannot get work out of your animals on the Sabbath. They also are under the law of God. What's interesting here is that uh, God put the animals above the alien. Isn't that interesting? Nor the alien within your gates. I, I just say that as an aside. Uh, I'm not making any theological discussion about it. But the point is, I want you to understand the mind of God that he's concerned about the animal kingdom, that he's concerned about the creatures, that he carved into stone his care for them. And I want you to turn back to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and Lord, all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures, those are the four living creatures in heaven, said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. What does it mean? It means that there are creatures in heaven who are articulating and worshiping God. These are articulating creatures. 
All right? These are not like animals that we've seen in this world, but these creatures are there in the kingdom of God, and they are designed to worship and praise God. And you see in this passage that all, all of the animal kingdom, all of it that will be there in heaven and on the earth will sit there and glorify God. What an amazing passage this is, that the animal kingdom themselves will speak up and speak for God. Um, and, and we know uh, if you turn to Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, Each of the four living creatures, this is what we're talking about, had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Now, I want you to understand this, that God, in God's economy, he has elevated these creatures to be nonstop worshipers, that they speak the word of God in praise to God himself. And the 24 elders representing the church, universal, bow down. Bow down in this. Can you imagine this scene? All right. And you have somehow been taught that there are no animals in heaven. Well, shame on you. Because I'm going to tell you something. Your heaven is not the way God is, is, is planning heaven. And here's the point of what I'm talking about. We marginalize God. Right? We marginalize God. Why? Because our minds are so puny so puny that we can't confirm in our own head. We're confounded by how God operates. We can't think of creatures articulating and worshiping God. We can't think about that. We wouldn't think that God would, would put in his Ten Commandments that the animals are to be protected from this day of the Sabbath. We, we don't hear these kind of things. And so you marginalize God, and when you marginalize God, your heaven is a pale shadow of the real truth. This heaven that God has laid out for us is so incredible, is so amazing that we have no idea what it's going to be like. And I want you to understand this, um, because to me, it's so critical. One of the, one of the other verses that I, I love to read is Isaiah chapter 11. You know this one, Isaiah chapter 11. And this talks about when Christ will come back when he will make all things new, what will happen? What will the new Jerusalem be like? What will, have, what will this new heaven look like? And here's what he tells you, verse 6. The wolf, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the, with, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. There it is. There it is. It's not John Garippa giving you his opinion. 
It's the word of God articulating what will happen when God creates all things new. This animal kingdom will be unlike anything that we've ever seen. Those vicious instincts that were there, God will remove them. There will be a new heaven, a new earth. All the creations will be new. And there they are in heaven, glorifying God, worshiping God. Uh, and so holy, holy, holy is God using these animals to glorify him. Uh, and, and so I'm not done with this. There's more to come. Turn, turn for example, uh, the, the passage that relates to, to Elijah being taken up in heaven. He's with, he's with Elisha. He's being taken up into heaven by a chariot. When that chariot comes and picks up Elijah, who's pulling the chariot? Horses. Where'd they come from? Heaven? Heaven? You understand? Heaven? All right, and they're going to heaven. You understand that? So here it is, another example uh, coming there, coming together. Uh, and, and then there's another example where, uh, again, Elijah and his servant are surrounded, are surrounded in the hills uh, by the enemies of God. And, and his servant gets up in the morning and he looks out and he sees all of these evildoers in the army and their chariots all are surrounding him and he cries out cries out, we're, we're doomed. And Elijah said, no, he prays. Elijah prays to the Lord. Elisha prays to the Lord and asks God to open his eyes. And when he does, he sees the hills filled with angels and horses. Horses. Where does this come from? It comes from God. They're coming from, from heaven. And so the angelic element includes, and includes these very things. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I get done with this. If there's not a, if, if you leave here with a frown, I, I quit. I mean, really, if you leave with a frown after listening to what God is speaking to you about here, Romans chapter 8, verse 21. We'll start with 18 to get a full picture of this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What does that mean? It means that at the moment that man fell at the Garden of Eden, that evil inhabited the human DNA, from that moment, all of creation also fell. That's why we have hurricanes. That's why we have tornadoes. That's why we have natural disasters, because the creation fell in sin, and that creation includes all around us. That's why you have earthquakes. That's why you have these natural disasters, because the creation fell in sin. And God will make it right when he will bring heaven back to this new world. When God will take the new Jerusalem, which is the heavenly city, and will at some point take that city and will bring that city intact, intact to this world. Uh, and put it here in this world, right in Jerusalem, and God will be in residence 
in the earth because the earth will be recreated. Make no mistake about it. God is doing this because his purpose was frustrated at the Garden of Eden, and now Jesus is going to make it right. Jesus is going to make it right. I will make all things new. And you're worried that your little dog isn't going to be waiting for you up there in heaven? I want to tell you right now, when you get there, when you get up to heaven and you get to the front porch, they're going to be waiting for you there on the front porch. They're going to be waiting there for you on the front porch. I believe it with everything in my heart because that's my God. That's the love of my God. That's the care that he has for you, that he had your name. He knows about you. He knows about your suffering. And you don't think, you don't think that he would love you that much, that he wouldn't do that. Oh, my God. Give us an understanding of your will, Father. Um, and, and as you finish this passage in, in Romans, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole creation is groaning. Even the weather systems are groaning. You understand what this says? That the world is groaning because it knows it has fallen in sin and that will be perfected when God brings the new Jerusalem to this world. That will be the heaven that you will see, that you will be a part of. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as son, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, my. Don't you get to the point, really, some days in this world, don't you get to the point where you say, Lord, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready for the rapture. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. I can't watch TV. I can't look at news. I can't have a discussion with my neighbors. Aren't you getting to that point where it's all just coming down upon you? And let me tell you something. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And that is us groaning, groaning inwardly for the redemption of sons, for God's work, for his redemptive work. And so it's important to understand this. And so this world will be reconstructed. It will be made over. I will create all things new. The new Jerusalem will be brought down. It'll be situated in Jerusalem, but it will be enormous. The Bible tells us, based on the dimensions we have here, that it will be square, 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high. I mean, just to think about that blows your mind. But, you know, you know this is going to be the abode of heaven. And God himself will be in residence at that point. God himself and Jesus Christ will be there as well. As well, there will be 12 gates. And on each one of the 12 gates, one of the, the names of one of the tribes of Israel will be there. Uh, and so God is going to reclaim this world. He's going to reclaim this world. Um, and this world will become the new Jerusalem. This world will become the new heaven. And so as I, as I bring all these pieces together for you, uh, and I hope I'm giving you a glimpse of what it's going to be like on the other side, what, what your family will be like when you go there, what your memory will be like, what it will be like to be there every day, what it will be like to serve God as he gives you a job to do. Uh, and you'll have responsibility. And, and I just have a few other comments to kind of wrap up the whole section. That is, heaven is a place of no sorrow. He will wipe every tear away, uh, John said. There will be no more death, no more mourning. There will be no crying for pain. 
for the old order of things has passed away. All that things, all those things that came out of the fall of creation will be all wiped away. Heaven is a place of no darkness. It'll be the light of, of God himself that will light every corner uh, of heaven. Uh, there will be no evil in heaven. There'll be no sin in heaven. When you get to heaven, you'll no longer be able to sin. God will glorify your body, and that will be taken away from you. And God will give you a perfect body when you get to heaven, a fully glorified body, uh, that he will do that. Uh, and it is a place of completed salvation, uh, because everything that he did for you and dying on the cross for you will be completed at that time. And we know that Jesus said in John chapter 14, uh, that heaven is a place of many mansions. That's what the King James said. I like the King James version better. Mansions, okay? You know, the new translation is the NIV. It says rooms. I don't know. I mean, I, I, my, my feeling of heaven is I'm not going up to get a, uh, a, a condominium, you know? I like condominiums, but I'm, I'm hoping to get a mansion, which I know you're hoping to get. And I believe Jesus will give you that. Whatever it is, Whatever promised abode you will get will be like nothing you have ever seen. Like nothing you have ever seen. You will be astonished when you get it. And we here will be together. And guess what? We're still going to have BLG at Sunday at 11. We're still going to have Sunday BLG at 11. And my men's group's going to meet every Monday morning at 8. All right? It's eight. But here's the thing. You're not going to get fat. You're not going to get old. You're not going to have any pains. You're going to be with your family. And you're going to be with your pets. We're going to be waiting for you on the front porch. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for the words that you've given us, for the wisdom that you've given us. Lord, what a picture of heaven you have given us. Lord, we are astounded that you would do so much for us, this human race that has just fallen in sin. Yet you saved us, Lord, by your son Jesus. You saved us because you loved us, because your incredible love for us is so deep and so profound that you would not let us perish. And everything that you do permeates with that love, Lord. And so as we leave here today, we have an understanding of how deep that love is in every aspect of our lives. Let us give this message to a world that is lost. Let us tell people what they will miss, what they will, where they will not be, all because they have not accepted your son, Lord. Let this message resonate with us as we go out into this world. Be with our people. Protect them in everything they do and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.